the the nine-year anniversary service for uh, Lee Writings and Greater Hope Baptist Church in Dallas. And so little did I know what the next couple weeks were going to bring. Of course, then the next week I was sick and Corey was sick and everybody, man, we, I was missed the Valentine's Day banquet, which broke my heart and I missed my opportunity to to shine as one of the Baptist street boys. <laughs> and so I'm still devastated that I missed out on that. Kelsey, you filled in admirably in my absence, and <clears throat> you know everybody that practiced with us knows I was the weakest link. <laughs> and so it was, uh, it probably worked out for the best. But, and then of course, last week, we were, we, we were right in the thick of it. So baby, baby number four decided to arrive, and, and we were, uh, yeah, we were, we were right in the midst of that. I think we've got a. I think we've got a picture on the next slide of little. There she is. There, there. This is little Ellery, not to be confused with Elroy. His boy Elroy. The uh, Ellery. This is Ellery Love, and so yeah. So we're 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 very excited to 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 have her at the house. Ellery is a name from my wife's mind. And we, we've always done unique first names, family middle names. And so it's Ellery Love. Love was my mom's maiden name. And so that was, that was what we did. So, that, so that's Ellery. But man, I am thankful that in my absence, everything was obviously in great hands. We got to hear from three different people in three weeks. And so that's wonderful. Pastor Jerry at least had a heads up. And so it was great to hear from him. And unfortunately, Rodney and Corey did not have a heads up. And they did a, a wonderful job as well, so we're, we're certainly thankful for that. But man, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Let's, let's pray as we get started this morning. Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for this group of people who have assembled together in your name and that desire to become more like you today. And I pray that that's exactly what would happen. And I pray that you would get the glory as your word goes forth. I pray, God, that we would all approach this time uh, with with just a with a with a soft heart, God, ready to hear whatever it is that you have for us. I pray, God, we wouldn't just get information this morning. I pray that we would we would get transformation, and that if there's anybody in here this morning who's never called on your name to save them, I pray that today would be that day. And we love you, Lord. In your name, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Yes. Sure, brother. Yeah, praise the Lord, man. <laughs> yeah, we're thankful for you too, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amen, amen, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, praise the Lord. God has been good, man, and we're so thankful for you too, and I appreciate that. I, uh, I know what you mean, man. That, was, that song was hitting me too. Uh, that thing packs a punch. And yeah, man, praise the, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. If if you've got your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to First Thessalonians, chapter four? 
We're, we're going to be spending a, a, a lot of time there this morning as we continue going verse by verse through this book. So the last time I preached, we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. And kind of what I did was I, I took us halfway through what is one of the greatest passages in the Bible regarding the rapture. And it's also one of the greatest passages in the Bible for those that are grieving the loss of a believing loved one. And, and we're going to finish the last three verses of this incredible passage this morning, which is also the, the last three verses of the chapter. The, the last time I preached, what we got was we, we kind of got a bird's eye view of how everything is going to shake out at the rapture. And, and this morning, we're going to kind of get into the weeds a little bit more. We're going to be looking at some of the more specific details that are laid out for us about the rapture here in these last three verses of 1 Thessalonians 4. And one of those details, like we've seen and will continue to see this morning, is, is we are actually, those that are alive at the rapture, we're going to meet Jesus in the sky. And, and, and as we continue studying that, I, I just want to remind us of how that lines up to exactly what God was teaching us out of Acts chapter 1. By the time we reach Acts chapter 1, Jesus has resurrected, Jesus has stuck around for 40 days, and, and now he's about to ascend back up into heaven, and, and Jesus is speaking to the apostles, and, and he commissions them, and then verse 9 of Acts chapter 1 says, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So again, Jesus sticks around for 40 days after his resurrection, and the apostles literally watch him ascend off of his planet into heaven and watch him as he goes up. And, and the two angels next to him say, hey, why are you guys sitting around staring up into heaven? Which I've got to side with the apostles on this one. Because if I had just witnessed that, I mean, you got to give me at least on hour three, you can start busting my chops about staring into the sky but I'm going to be staring at that sky for a good little while trying to figure out, holy smokes, what in the world did I just, what in the world did I just witness? But, but it's like the angels there were trying to just say, hey, don't get freaked out. He's coming back the same way he left. And he left in the sky and one day we're all going to come back in the sky. We're going to meet him in the sky when he comes back. And that's exactly what the passage we're studying in 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches us as well. We're going to meet him in the sky. The way he left is the same way that he's coming back. But, but these last three verses of, of chapter 4, they, they give us some details about the rapture, even beyond the fact that we're going to meet Jesus in the sky. He even tells us about what we're going to hear at the moment that Jesus comes to meet us in the sky. And so as we begin this morning, first what I want us to understand is number one, understanding the sounds. Understanding the sounds. At the moment of the rapture, there are three specific sounds that the Bible teaches us that we're going to hear. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay, so I want us to look at these, these three sounds here that we're going to hear. Now, the sounds that we're going to hear at the rapture, that may seem a little trivial to some of you. But as you guys know, there's, there is nothing trivial or unimportant or needless that God puts in His Word. God left everything in there for a specific reason. And so as we're studying this, let's see if we can't figure out what it is that God wants to teach us through these 
seemingly trivial details. And so the first sound I want us to see when, is when Jesus comes, one of the sounds we'll hear is letter A, a shout from the Lord. We're going to hear a shout from the Lord. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4.16 just said. When he descends from heaven with a shout, the Lord himself will do that. Okay, so why is he going to shout? And what's he going to shout? And, and why even give us this detail? Why is he going to do that? I'm gonna, and I'm going to lay out a scenario for you that, that I believe is a, is a highly likely scenario based on comparing Scripture with Scripture. But, you know, if, if you don't think I'm right about this one, well, it's not a hill that I would completely die on. So if you disagree, I'll make a deal with you. I won't be mad at you for being wrong if you won't be mad at me for being right. Can we make a deal? <laughs> Sorry, I've been hanging out with Corey too long. It's, <laughs> but, but hear me out. So in John 11, we, we find the account of the resurrection of Lazarus. And now keep in mind, as we, as we think about this story of the resurrection of Lazarus, what I want us to keep in mind are the three applications of Scripture as it relates to this story, okay? Many of you are, are, are familiar with, with these three applications, but I do think it's worthy of, of reminding us because it's one that's easy to kind of slip out of the memory banks from time to time. The three applications of Scripture are the historical application, the, the practical or the devotional application, and then the, the prophetic application. Now, another way to remember these in my, that helps me anyway, this is the historical application is, is obviously the past. The practical or the devotional application relates to the present. And of course, the prophetic application is the future. So, so let's apply this to the story of Lazarus' resurrection that I know that most of, a story that most of you guys would know. So the historical application of the, of the story of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus is that Jesus really resurrected Lazarus, right? That's a historical event that actually happened. That's the historical or the past application. Then there's also the, the practical or the devotional or the, or the present application. In other words, this is how we look at this story through the lens of what God is teaching us to apply to our lives right now in the present day and age that we're currently living in. It's how we can apply truth in our lives that is relevant to us right now. And, and this is what the practical or the devotional application is. For those that are saved, the old man is dead, and we've been resurrected to walk in new life now. Now, now we have, of course, sinful desires that are trapped in our flesh, and so that always gets confusing. But we're now dead to the sin that's trapped in our flesh, according to Romans chapter 6. Because according to Colossians 2.11, our flesh has been circumcised. It's been cut away and separated from our soul. We no longer have to serve sin. It doesn't have to rule anymore. We're dead to it. We've been resurrected to new life in Christ and have been separated from the old man that used to call all the shots. And so now, even though that sin is still trapped in our flesh, we have the ability now to walk in newness of life because the new man has been resurrected and we're dead or we're separated from the old man. That's the practical or the devotional or the present application of this scripture. Now, the prophetic or future application is exactly what we've been studying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a day coming in the future at the rapture when those that sleep in Jesus will be resurrected just like Lazarus was. You see, like, like we saw last time that I, I preached, believing loved ones that have passed, they're asleep. Their soul and their spirit, they're with Jesus, but their bodies are asleep. 
and these bodies are going to be resurrected and remade into a perfect body incapable of sinning at the rapture. The prophetic application of the resurrection of Lazarus is pointing to exactly what we're talking about this morning in the, with the rapture. And with that in mind, would you listen to what Jesus says as he resurrects Lazarus? Now, now keep in mind, Jesus could have said anything he wanted. He could have given it the old snaparoo. He could have abracadabra, whatever, kazam. He could have, he could have done any of that stuff. But here's what he said according to John eleven forty three, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It says he, he cried with a loud voice. You know what crying with a loud voice is? It's a shout. It's a shout, isn't it? We already saw 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says Jesus is going to descend with a shout. And what did he shout when he resurrected Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth. Now hold on to that for a second. In John chapter 10, Jesus has given us the parable of the good shepherd. In the parable, Jesus Christ is the shepherd of his flock. And would you look at the interesting detail that he gives us in John chapter 10, beginning in, in verse 2, some of these details. Here's what he says. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." And listen, there's a practical application to this parable that we don't have time to get into, but the, the prophetic or the future application is just like we've been seeing, y'all. At the rapture, Jesus, our shepherd, is going to go before us and lead us out, and we're going to follow him off of this planet. And check this out. According to verse 3, his sheep are called by name. So if at the rapture, when the shepherd leads us out and we're called by name and we're called to resurrect the, the same way that Jesus resurrected Lazarus, and remember what Jesus said when he resurrected Lazarus that I told you to hold on to, he said, Lazarus, come forth. So I think that there's a good chance that we'll hear something like this. Justin, come forth. CJ, come forth. Silas, come forth. And we're all hearing that in our ears. And when we, when we hear that, like verse 4 says, though this is a voice we've never heard before audibly, we'll know his voice. We're going to know who that is that just called us up and called us out. Because though we've never heard his voice before, we've been following his word. It's just like in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. Song of Solomon is, 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 of course, written by Solomon, who's one of the greatest types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Solomon was the, he was the son of David, and Solomon was the king of Israel, which immediately begins to point us to who Solomon is a picture of, which of course is Jesus Christ. And Solomon's bride is speaking in verse 8 and, and, and says this, the voice of my beloved, behold, he, he cometh leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved spake and said unto me, rise up. My love, my fair one, and come away. The bride is going to know the voice of the bridegroom when the bridegroom calls us and says, Justin, rise up and come away. So when that day comes, we're, we're going to hear a voice, and it's going to be the voice of God. And I believe we'll hear something like I just described. But, but there's another sound that we're also going to hear that God saw fit to tell us about, which is, is let her be the voice of the archangel. 
We're going to hear the voice of the archangel. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, again, it says, He'll descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. So when the rapture takes place, there, there, there's something else we're going to be hearing. Of course, it's this voice of the archangel. Now, according to Jude 9, the archangel is Michael. And, and there's likely a couple reasons why Michael, the archangel, is participating in this incredible moment. And, and I think we get some insight into what that is and, and what is an extremely likely scenario again as to what he may say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The, the, the passage we're in in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's one of the best chapters as far as details surrounding the rapture, as I, as I mentioned. But the most in-depth chapter in the Bible in regards to the rapture is 1 Corinthians 15. And, and in this passage, a similar scenario, it's, it's laid out for us as to what we're seeing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll show you, starting in verse 52. Here's what it says, and here's how it describes this moment. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, just that fast, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. We'll talk more about that trump in a few minutes. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We talked about this last time when I explained how God transforms our bodies as we're in the air being teleported off the planet. Verse 54, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? Amen. And you just have to wonder if that isn't where Michael the archangel comes in. He, he's going to say something, and you can just imagine it's going to be something like that. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh my goodness, can you imagine what a moment. This is going to be Michael, the archangel, will be so hype, he's literally talking trash to death. Where you at, death? Oh, you've been swallowed whole. That's where you at. Well, what a day that's going to be. And, and so Michael is going to, he's going to say something, and you've got to think that it's going to be something like that. So God has something to Michael for Michael to say, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I believe God involves him. But I believe another reason has to do with what we understand about what time it's going to be at that moment. Because what's actually happening is, as we're raptured out of here, the church age is ending and the tribulation period is beginning. The age of grace that we're currently living in it's over. Now keep in mind, God dispenses His grace differently at different times. And that sounds confusing, but it's really not that hard to follow in the Bible once you understand the bigger picture. Here, here's, here's what I mean. We tend to think that the entire Bible is about Christianity as we know it today. And we have to understand that the Bible is not first and foremost a Christian book. The Bible is a history book where God is working throughout history to establish his kingdom. And throughout history, he's dispensing his grace differently at different times to different people as he works to establish his kingdom. So for example, prior to the, the beginning of the church age, which, which didn't even begin until Jesus ascended back into heaven, God was primarily dealing with the Jews prior to that. All of our lives, all that we have ever experienced in our lives is God primarily dealing with the Gentiles, the church, at a day and time when we're saved by grace through faith alone, completely apart from works. But that's not the way it's always been. We have to remember when Jesus is dealing with the Jews, 
It's a faith plus works economy for entrance into heaven. There's no way you can honestly read the Old Testament and think that we're saved the same way then as we're saved right now. Could, could they gain entrance into heaven in the Old Testament without sacrifices? No, they, they couldn't. But, but you see this age of grace we're living in where Jesus has now come, he's died, he's already rose again and is offering salvation as a free gift to all those that believe on his son. If you add works to salvation right now, it's actually to not be salvation at all. It, to add to it is to negate it altogether. But that's not the way it was before when God was primarily dealing with the Jew. And that's not the way it's going to be again once we're raptured off of this planet. Because after the rapture, during the tribulation period, we're again entering a Jewish economy where God is primarily dealing with the Jew. You see, the age of grace doesn't last forever. There's coming a time when it ends. You have a certain amount of time to call upon the name of the Lord to save you by grace through faith alone before the rapture. And once the rapture happens, that ship has sailed. The window of time where you can simply call on the name of the Lord to save you, the window has closed at that point. That's not the way people are going to get saved anymore after the rapture. And, and, and what is being ushered in is, again, God dealing primarily with the Jew, and so it will be a faith plus works economy, because according to the Bible, will you go to heaven if you take the mark of the beast in the tribulation period? No, you won't. Because it's back to a faith plus works economy. This church age we're living in, we're in a parenthesis right now. And when you understand that, your Bible is going to make a whole lot more sense to you when you read it, when you quit trying to cram church age doctrine into every passage that you read. You try to squeeze salvation by grace through faith and not of works lest any man should boast into every passage of scripture. You're going to get so confused in the Bible if you don't understand it. It's a, it's a simple expl explanation. God dispenses his grace differently at different times, so we have to understand the context of what we're reading. But I say all that because Michael the archangel has a special connection to the Jew. He has a special connection to the nation of Israel. And, and again, as soon as we're raptured out of here, church age is over, age of grace is over, and God is going to begin Primarily dealing with the Jew in a faith plus works economy. And Michael has this special connection. Look at what he's called in Daniel chapter 12 in verse 1. Have you ever seen this before? It says, and at that time, Michael, shall Michael stand up? The great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time, now look, as soon as Michael's special connection to the Jews is, is referenced, Daniel immediately begins describing the tribulation period. He, he describes it as this time of trouble like we've never seen before. Jesus describes the tribulation in a similar way in Matthew 24, 21. But what's happening here in Daniel 12, 1 is Michael's going to stand up we already saw he's going to say some things, too. And he does that right before this time of trouble begins, this, this tribulation period begins. Michael, the archangel here, he's, he is essentially referred to as the, the prince who stands for Israel. So as the church age ends, the age of grace ends, and this Jewish faith plus works economy is ushered in, Michael, the archangel, is going to be right on the scene when all of that begins. Because the Jewish economy is going to begin, and he's the prince that stands for Israel. Now, now also understand, this is the same time when the two witnesses are about to show up. These two witnesses that we all hear about are going to come on the scene, and, and I don't have time to lay out for you exactly how we know this is true but the two witnesses are going to be moses and elijah and have you ever seen what jude 9 says about michael and moses body Here, here's what it says interestingly enough it says that michael the archangel when contending with the devil he disputed about the body of moses 
Well, I'll be doggone. What in the world does he care about that? He's having a dispute with Satan, of all things, about the body of Moses. And you know why Michael and Satan care about this, this body of Moses? Because when Moses come back, comes back as one of the two witnesses, he's going to need that body. And he's about to come back. Now, Elijah, he was taken up without ever dying. So his body isn't in the ground. He didn't, it doesn't need to be recovered. But Moses died, and Michael, as the prince that stands for Israel, wanted to get his hands on that body so those witnesses could hit the scene after we're raptured out of here. Like I said, Michael has a special connection to the Jew. In fact, according to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, during the tribulation period when Satan persecutes the remnant of Israel, Michael and his angels fight against the devil and his angels. So, so God has something for Michael to say at the rapture, but that's, that's the other reason that it would appear that Michael the archangel has part in the rapture. He's got something to say, and he's in position to be a part of what happens next, because as God begins primarily dealing with the Jew again, and these two witnesses hit the scene, Michael's got a special role. And so again, those of us that are, that are still alive at the rapture are raptured off of this planet, and we're going to hear Michael the archangel, and we'll probably hear him say something like, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And he'll be right there on the scene as the great prince that stands for Israel as the tribulation period hits the planet. But there's one more thing we're going to hear at the rapture, and it's letter C. We're going to hear the trump of God. The trump of God. That's, that's exactly what it says again in, in verse 16 that we're studying. The Lord himself will descend with the trump of God. Now, a trump is the sound a, a trumpet makes. Uh, I mean, no party would be complete without some music. We, 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 we got to get some jams going on here. Trumpets are often used in the Bible to, to assemble people for different reasons. Sometimes it's a festivity or it's to announce a victory but they're also used to summon people before God. In fact, the first time you hear a trumpet sounding in the Bible is Exodus chapter 19 and verse 13, and here's what it says. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. When the trumpet sounds, somebody's coming up. It's similar in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now that's an interesting way to, to put it, isn't it? After the sound of the trumpet, people shall ascend up. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who was also gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. Second Samuel six fifteen. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of a trumpet. Nehemiah 4.20, And what place therefore ye hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. Jeremiah 4.5, Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry together and, and say, Assemble yourselves. Let us go into the defense cities. Now, those are all some amazing coincidences as it relates to trumpets in, in the Bible, wouldn't you say? The trumpet sounds and people are being gathered and the direction they're heading is up. <laughs> Listen, you know why that lines up so perfectly with the trumpet sounding at the rapture? Because God's been planning this day for a long, long time. Isn't that amazing? 
So, so those are the sounds we're going to hear at the rapture. Man, what a day it's going to be. And then the next thing God shows us in this passage has to do with the sequence of the rapture. Number two, understanding the sequence. At the end of First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, we understand that the sequence is, is that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And we talked about this some the last time I preached, and so I don't want to belabor this part of the message. But the dead in Christ, or those that are asleep in Christ, their, their bodies are going to rise first. So in other words, all the bodies that are in graves and in the sea and who knows where all over this planet, they're going to rise up first. And then those of us that are still alive on this planet, I keep wanting to include myself in that category for some reason. I, you know, those of us, you know, me and you and whoever's left, I hope that's the case, but I'm not, I'm not certain of that. But those of us that are alive on this planet, we're going to rise up next and meet those that were dead in Christ in the clouds. According to 1 Corinthians 15, we're all receiving new glorified bodies on the way up. And all these things are happening and are all happening in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right? So this thing is, man, this thing is happening. It's all happening fast. But the dead in Christ rise first. Those that are still alive on this planet come next. But, but it's all happening so fast, I'm, I'm not even so sure we're going to be that cognizant of, of, of the sequence. But then next, according to the passage we're studying, I want us to be sure we understand number three, Understanding the social gathering. Understanding the social gathering. Okay, so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 17, it says that, that we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so picture this. Those of us that are alive at the rapture will be caught up together with our believing loved ones and those that are asleep in Jesus in the clouds. We'll be getting together with them right as we've all received our glorified bodies. Because though when we got saved, we became new creatures, we didn't get our new bodies yet. That, that's a promise we have waiting for us in the future. And this is the moment in the future. At salvation, we had this spiritual transformation, and at the rapture, there's going to be a physical transformation, and our salvation at that moment will be complete. That, that physical body with, with all the sin and lust trapped in it, we're, we're finally going to be freed from it. it. It's going to be incredible, but no sooner are we soaking in the fact that we have a new body and we're processing all these things that we just heard a shout from the Lord and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. No sooner have we soaked that in and we look up and we see the wife that we lost. And we look over and we see the husband that we lost. And we see the dad that we lost. And we look over or we see the, the, the mom that we lost and we look over and we see the child that we lost. And they look different now because they've got a glorified body, but we know it's them. Right. And, and listen, God could have set this thing up any way he wanted to. There's a lot of ways to skin the cat, but he chose to gather us all back together again first and then meet Jesus in the air. He didn't have to gather us up and gather us all together, but it, it, it's as if he's gathering us, uh, all of us back together again before the big event. He's bringing all of us back together again, and he's reuniting us with all of our believing loved ones and, and that have passed, and he's bringing us together before the main event. And the main event is where we're going to see Jesus. We're finally going to physically see him. It, it's as if he understands the challenges of dealing with the loss of a loved one. And he says, I'm going to bring you all back together again so that you can all be together and experience the big event 
together, together alongside our believing loved ones. We're going to meet Jesus together. According to 2 Corinthians 5, 7, right now we walk by faith, not by sight, but at this moment, our faith will become sight. According to 1 Corinthians 13, 12, right now we see through a glass darkly and only know in part. But at this moment, it, will be through a, it, it won't be through a glass darkly. It will be clearly and face to face. According to 2 Corinthians 4.18, right now we're to look at the things that are not seen because they're eternal. Which is physically impossible to look at things that aren't seen because if they aren't seen, then how can we see them? But the way we're able to, to look at the things that aren't seen is not through physical eyes, but it's through spiritual eyes. But at this moment, we'll see with physical eyes what we could only see previously through spiritual eyes. Man, what a day that's going to be. And in the midst of understanding that, there, there's something else I believe God wants us to be sure we understand from this passage. Number four, understanding the solace. Understanding the solace in First in First Thessalonians four seventeen and eighteen, it says that we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Oh, do you understand the magnitude of those words? And so shall we ever be. With the Lord. Do you realize what that means? It means we don't just get to meet him in the air. It means that there will never be another time that we're separated from our heavenly father's physical presence. We'll finally be with the one that created us and we'll never be separated again. We'll finally be with the one that loved us so much that he endured not just death, but the death of the cross on our behalf. This is what life has always been about from the beginning, y'all. From the moment we took our first breath of God's air on this planet, it's been about restoring this relationship that was lost because of sin and ultimately having that relationship in person. And for everyone that is called in the name of the Lord to save them, we now have access to a relationship with the creator once again we have a spiritual relationship now but the physical is coming and from this day forward we will physically forever be with the lord can i ask you something does that do anything for you because if the thought of that kind of a relationship with god doesn't do much for you I fear you may be missing out on what all of life is about and what all of the next life is about. If having that relationship then doesn't do anything for you now, I fear it could be because there's not much of a relationship now. But I hope that does something for you now because it will be that much sweeter when we're with Jesus then. We will forever be with Jesus, the one we love, and, and it's crazy to think, y'all, Jesus actually wants to be with us. It's a thought almost, it's almost impossible to get our mind around that Jesus actually wants to be with us forever. When you're the big dog, you don't mess around with little peasants. You've seen, you've seen all the famous athletes, uh, let me autograph that for you, and they're going, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. You're amazing, I love you, and this and that. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like this is this is what this is what we do. This is God, man. This isn't some stinking athlete. This is God we're talking about, and He actually wants to be with us. I don't know why He loves us the way that He does. I get why we love Him because what's not to love? But but I'll never get over why He loves us and wants to be with us. I, I, I love how Jesus describes His desire to be with us in John 14:3. He's talking to the disciples about the fact that he's going to prepare a place for us. And Jesus says, and if I go 
and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself. Here it is. That where I am, there ye may be also. Oh, do you see that? He's telling disciples, I'm, disciples, I'm going to leave, but I'm coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to receive us unto himself so that where he is, we'll be there too. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back and I'm going to receive you then so that we can be together. So that where I am, you may be also. We will forever be with the Lord. But, but, but despite this fact that he's so far above us and so much greater than we could ever hope to be he isn't just accepting us miserable little peons into his kingdom and then tolerating our existence from there no he actually wants us there and wants to be where we are in exodus chapter 24 god's god's coming telling moses to to come to him and get the ten commandments and 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 he said this And the Lord said unto Moses, come up to me in the mount and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. Listen, God adds these phrases for a reason. God has given the Ten Commandments to Moses. And in the midst of that, God is saying, I want you to just come up to the mount. I'm going to give you to the Ten Commandments, but... But when I give them to you, I want you to come to the mount where I am and just be there. That's what I want. Just be there. I just want to be with you. Isn't that unbelievable? And that's where this ship is headed, y'all. There's coming a day, according to our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, when all those that believe will forever be with the Lord and he'll forever be with us. And according to 1 Thessalonians 4.18, those words should comfort us. It should bring solace. And we should tell others these truths in order to comfort those that have loved ones that have passed. Man, it serves as a great comfort to me. I pray that it does for you. In the midst of everything happening at the rapture, in this moment, in this twinkling of an eye. You know what else is happening at this moment? This this moment where we're reunited with our believing loved ones and we're receiving glorified bodies and we're hearing these sounds and we're meeting Jesus in the air so that we can be with him forever. You know what's happening? What's happening is we're winning. We win. I, I talked earlier in First Corinthians about First Corinthians chapter fifteen and the in the likelihood of what Michael the archangel will say out of this passage. But but will you read it with me again through a different lens? Here here's what here's what it teaches us that in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruptible must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We win. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been given the victory. Death couldn't ultimately hold us down. Death couldn't hold our believing loved ones down. And death couldn't hold us down because it couldn't hold Jesus down. Death got swallowed up. It has no more sting because Jesus conquered death and now we're victorious over death just like he was. And so in light of all that, verse 58, it brings it all to a head and it says, therefore, in other words, therefore, because of this victory, because of the fact that we are win, 
Therefore, because of this victory that we have in Christ, be steadfast and unmovable. We don't, we don't have to be shaken and rattled and sidelined for fear of death or from pain of having lost a loved one. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Listen, at the end of the day, we win and there is nothing to fear. There's nothing that should sideline us. We should always be abounding in the work of the Lord. To, to abound in the work of the Lord is to do it, do it in excess, increase in that thing. And we do that because this verse shows us that that kind of work, it won't be any work that we do in vain. It's not in vain because this is the work of the Lord. It's an eternal work. Listen, y'all, at the end of the day, we win. The grave won't be able to hold us back. It won't be able to hold us down. And so with whatever breath God chooses to graciously give us in our lungs, and for however long He chooses to allow us to have it, use all of it to invest in the eternal work of the Lord. What's holding you back this morning? Listen, there's so much to rejoice over. And for those who have lost loved ones, there's so much to take comfort in. That's, that's why the last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, it tells us to do just that. It tells us to comfort each other with these words. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the reality of what we're studying, that we're going to see our believing loved ones again, and we will forever be with the Lord. What, what an incredible comfort that is. My prayer is that we will receive that comfort from the last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, but that we'll also receive the admonition from the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. God wants us to receive comfort in knowing at the end of this whole thing, we win. And death and Satan will not get the victory. And we will be physically reunited with our believing loved ones and the Lord Jesus Christ himself and because of that victory he wants us to be steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that our work isn't in vain Amen. father we love you we thank you so much for the promises that we have in you we thank you so much that you came to this earth that you loved us like that that you got victory over death god that it didn't hold you back and it's not going to hold us back either and we are one day going to be reunited with our believing loved ones, God. We're we're going to be we're going to see you face to face. And so I'm praying and I'm begging that this group of people will be a group of people that are steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord as a result of those truths and as a result of knowing those as a result of taking comfort in those truths. I pray, God, that you would help us to then do and be all that we've been called to be. Do not let this sideline us, not allow ourselves to be sidelined, but that we would invest what we have into the eternal God. What we're looking at right now, it's coming and going with the wind. And I pray, Lord, that we would invest what we have in something that outlives this life. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.